Hello and welcome to today's episode of the VJ Hemal podcast. We are a global, open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest clinical research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be hearing updates from leading non-Hodgkin lymphoma experts on novel BTK inhibitors and regimens for the treatment of NHL. Thomas Fitzig from the Mayo Clinic Rochester in Minnesota is going to start us off today. Thomas, could you share with us which BTK inhibitor you'll be talking about today? Hello, I'm Tom Witzig, and I'm going to be talking about uh, acalabrutinib today, uh, specifically with its reference to blood cancer, CLL, and mantle cell lymphoma. I'm going to share with you just a little bit about the resistance mechanisms that are emerging and what's uh, coming. There has been a pooled analysis presented by Dr. Furman at ASCO last year of uh, over 1,000 patients treated with acalabrutinib. And as you focus on this, uh, the main problem is the hemorrhage and the cardiac events. And so what you see with acalabrutinib is a very low risk of atrial fibrillation and a low risk of significant major hemorrhage. So this is not a major problem uh, with this drug, but it is something you need to be aware of. So the new ECOG trial that's open now across the country is you taking upfront mantle cell patients and randomizing them to two different arms that have uh, acalabrutinib, arm B and arm C, but this is entirely BR based and two of the arms have cytarabine in them. So hopefully if we get arm C as a winner here, we'll be able to get rid of ARC and anthracyclines and go with a more simplified regimens for our patients. But that's what the study is looking at. So in summary, BTK inhibitors represent an effective treatment for relapsed and perhaps upfront mantle cell and CLL. They're well-tolerated, probably not curative, and progressions on acalabrutinib can respond to CAR-T. And remember, there is a risk of aspergillosis, as I showed you with my one patient. Uh, these are pretty rare, but you have to be aware of that because these inhibitors also inhibit uh, macrophage uh, function. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Thomas. I'm sure we're all looking forward to hearing about the results of the ECOG trial. Following on from that, how does acalabrutinib compare with other novel BTK inhibitors? This is a study from Dr. Michael Wang that uh, looked at acalabrutinib, and in that paper, and this is a, mo a couple years now ago, he compared his previous trial. This was not a randomized trial. It was two different trials. Both of them had over 100 patients, and they both were for relapsed mantle cell lymphoma. And what you can see is the response rate was uh, excellent in both with both agents, a little bit better for acalabrutinib. The median duration of response, about two years, again, a little bit better for acalabrutinib. But I want to point out that the MIPI scores, there were less high-risk MIPIs in the acalabrutinib study compared to abrutinib. There was less prior proteasome inhibitor and less prior lenalidomide. So, uh, the toxicities were also a little bit different, less atrial fibrillation and a little bit less uh, serious uh, bleeding. So there are differences between these two agents, uh, more on the side effect profile than there is on the actual uh, benefit uh, trial or part of it. Interesting to see the differences associated with the toxicity profile. My final question for you, Thomas, what is the patient experience like for those receiving calibrutinib? I just have an update uh, on this uh, patient. This was a gentleman that had a prior stem cell transplant. He relapsed with very bulky disease and a DVT and was treated with acalabrutinib starting in October of 2018. And within a couple months, he had a dramatic response. So this, this is really proof of principle that these drugs can induce a dramatic response without giving them a lot of chemotherapy. And I just saw him back in January. He's now two and a half years into this treatment and doing well. So the survival can be 
very good, even in a relapsed mantle cell lymphoma patient. I would uh, warn you about stopping these drugs su suddenly when your patient progresses on them. And this is what we call the BTK flare. And this was uh, described by Paul Hampel recently. And I would refer you to that publication for further details about what to do. But we typically overlap them with the next drug rather than stopping it uh, suddenly. Uh, patients are now becoming resistant to these drugs. Uh, this is a woman that recently uh, I, I treated for many years, probably over 10 years, and eventually she ended up on four different agents because she became resistant to the abrutinib and uh, actually uh, passed away of infection here recently without ever being able to get to uh, CAR T-cell therapy. So these are sad cases. Uh, they show us that we need to continue to develop new drugs because uh, eventually patients will become resistant. CAR T-cells fortunately do not care about BTK resistance. And so in this study by Michael Wang uh, that was recently published, you can see a lot of these patients were refractory to BTK inhibitors, and therefore uh, they were uh, still sensitive to CAR-T. So that's why it's FDA approved for that. Thank you for those updates, Thomas. Next up is Chan Yu Chair of the Linear Clinical Research and Sir Charles Gardner Hospital in Perth, Australia, who will be telling us about pertubrutinib, formerly known as LOXO305. Over to you, Chan. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, present these data on uh, pirtobrutinib, uh, formerly known as LOXO305, a next-generation highly selective non-covalent BTK inhibitor in previously treated uh, lymphomas, the results from the Phase 1-2 Bruin study. Uh, these data were initially presented by my colleague Michael Wong at ASH in 2020. The background to this presentation and the data regarding uh, pirtobrutinib is um, that, um, like in CLL, the outcomes of patients with mantle cell lymphoma who experience disease progression following the use of covalent BTK inhibitors is uh, poor. We saw patients had an overall survival of uh, approximately eight months following progression after ibrutinib. Um, the mechanisms of resistance for um, mantle cell lymphoma patients who experience progression after ibrutinib seem to be different to CLL and not primarily mediated by C481S mutations, um, but rather uh, other pathways. Uh, regardless, the uh, following, the, the other treatments used to, to all these patients in this setting uh, have not resulted in any great outcomes. So pirtobrutinib is a highly potent and selective non-covalent BTK inhibitor, initially designed to overcome the C481S mutation, but also highly potent against wild-type um, BTK and theoretically should lead to a uh, more tolerable agent. The Phase 1-2 Bruin study was a large study, um, which is still going actually, and at the time of this data cut for ASH, um, had in 323 patients had been enrolled, the majority with CLL, but a significant number of patients with a variety of lymphoma subtypes, most frequently mantle cell lymphoma, N equals 61, and Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia, um, a further 26 patients, with a range of other different lymphoma subtypes included. So patients had to have had um, uh, previous uh, therapy, and the majority of patients had had previous BTK inhibitor therapy. And in this, uh, in the efficacy evaluable population for this study and this data cut, there were 56 patients with mantle cell lymphoma, 19 patients with Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia, and 55 patients with other lymphoma subtypes. The key things to highlight are the majority of patients had a, a favorable performance status, as you would expect on a phase one, two clinical trial, a median of three prior lines of therapy, and the majority of patients with mantle cell lymphoma had had, had prior BTK inhibitor therapy, 
69% of patients with Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia having had prior BTK exposure and 37% of the other patients. But almost all patients um, exposed to uh, rituximab or CD20 monoclonal antibodies in chemotherapy. Um, the majority of patients discontinued their most recent prior line of therapy due to disease progression. The pharmacokinetics of Loxo305 um, in the phase one uh, portion of this study, we were exploring different dose levels. As you can see, uh, a, a fairly consistent rise in, in um, drug levels uh, with doses um, being increased and 200 milligrams daily was selected as the recommended phase two dose. The safety profile of pitnibrutinib is worth discussion. And um, the really the, the key points are that uh, it was a this is a highly uh, fav highly favourable uh, toxicity profile and it's very well tolerated. Um, certainly compared to covalent BTK inhibitors, the incidence of um, uh, low grade adverse events like bruising is low, seen in fifth, grade one, seen in 15% of patients, and this is more like 30 to 40% of patients treated with covalent BTK inhibitors. Um, not many patients got rash, um, only a handful of patients got atrial fibrillation, so that was very infrequent, um, and hypertension also seen infrequently, although we do need to bear in mind that the follow-up um, on this trial is relatively short, only about uh, six months for the patients in the lymphoma cohorts at this stage. Um, the other um, adverse events seen, fatigue, fatigue and diarrhoea more commonly, again, um, relatively infrequent compared with covalent BTK inhibitors, and there were very few grade three or higher adverse events of any nature, with fatigue being the only one that was considered treatment related in two patients. Pirtabrutinib is an active drug in mantle cell lymphoma, um, and the activity in the 55 patients who were efficacy evaluable, you can see the overall response rate was 52%, with 25% complete responses and 27% partial responses. And this seemed to be the case irrespective of uh, whether patients had prior BTK inhibitor exposure. Most of the patients who have achieved complete responses uh, are continuing to experience benefit from this therapy. But bear in mind, as I previously mentioned, the median duration of follow-up for this, this particular subset of patients is relatively short, and we will need to see longer follow-up. In Wallenstrom macroglobulinemia, the number of patients treated is smaller, but again, um, pleasing responses in um, in um, the majority of patients here, an objective response rate of 68%, no complete responses, but 47% uh, partial responses and 21% minor responses. Again, um, we observe these even in patients who've been previously refractory to other covalent, uh, to, to covalent BTK inhibitors, such as abrutinib and xanabrutinib. Uh, there were a few other lymphoma subtypes um, included as well. And these included rictus transformation with an intriguing um, six out of eight patients respond, re responding here for a response rate of 75%. Um, again, some responses among the patients with follicular lymphoma, marginal zone lymphoma, and some responses in patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, although only 24%. The duration of treatment in the other lymphoma subtypes, uh, most of the patients, 77% um, of those responding Waldenstrom patients are uh, in ongoing response and five of the six patients with uh, response and Richter's transformation have ongoing responses as well. So to summarise, um, pirtabrutinib has promising efficacy in mantle cell lymphoma and other lymphoma subtypes, including in patients who have previous um, uh, treatment failure from covalent BTK inhibitors. 
uh, the durable responses among the BTK exposed mantle cell patients is particularly notable given the poor prognosis of these patients with the existing treatments. The side effect profile is favourable and certainly seems to be um, better tolerated than covalent BTK inhibitors, although the duration of follow-up is relatively short and some of the late, um, more, more late, later emerging um, treatment emerging adverse effects, such as hypertension, need to, be, need to be followed up longer before we can understand that better. So uh, pirtabrutinib is a well-tolerated uh, drug which, which has promising efficacy in, in previously treated patients with um, B-cell lymphomas. Um, this this, uh, the, the results from this phase one, two study have um, been published recently in The Lancet and uh, I'll direct you to that uh, if you have any um, further uh, details that you want to glean. Uh, thanks very much for your attention. That was a very comprehensive overview of pirtabrutinib, thank you Chan. Now, Gilles Sal of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre in New York will be discussing updates on the BTK inhibitor tirabrutinib. Whenever you're ready, Gilles. Hello, we are going now to talk about tirabrutinib, which is another interesting BTK inhibitor, probably well known by some of us, but probably less known by others. Tirabrutinib is a highly selective BTK inhibitor that was developed by Ono Pharmaceutical in Japan. There are several characteristics which are important regarding these BTK inhibitors. Tirabrutinib is a highly selective BTK inhibitor whose selectivity is better than other well-known BTK inhibitors, CCCC292, for those who don't know what is pebrutinib. It has a profile which is roughly similar to the selectivity of acalabrutinib, although with a few distinct uh, 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 features, and it has also a different chemical composition. And this was based on several experiments. It has uh, uh, different activities on uh, uh, BTK and a very potent activity on BTK, although equal to some of the other uh, uh, BTK inhibitors, but less activity on other kinases which explain its selectivity. And in vitro, they were not found to uh, impair, tirabrutinib was not found to impair T-cell activation, had no effect on NGFR. So based on these data, the development was initially conducted by Ono Pharmaceutical, then in a joint venture with uh, uh, Gilead, uh, as we will see. The promising results were presented now eight years ago at ASH, and I had the honor to present the first result in CLL. With once a day 40 milligram, there was clearly a durable BTK inhibition as assessed in the uh, peripheral blood uh, uh, mononuclear cells. And this was achieved in a patient with a relapsed CLL with a deletion of 17P. The initial results in this patient with CLL were very encouraging and were further confirmed in the final analysis of the study, which was published in Blood in 2016. There were different hematological malignancies in this phase one, essentially CLL, mantle cell, and non-germinal center B cell, diffuse large B cell lymphoma. The response rate that was observed in this uh, uh, different subset of B-cell malignancies, which, which was very high in CLN and MCL, 
and even encouraging in non-GCB DLBCL and the uh, PFS curve for the three entities uh, which seem reasonably good and competitive with the other ones. Response were uh, achieved with uh, different uh, uh, doses of uh, uh, tirabrutinib and even at low doses for uh, some patients that stay on drug for several months. Was that achieved with any uh, difficulties in terms of tolerability of the drug? No, this was a very well tolerated drug. Essentially, the grade three, four events were hematologic, were appearing during the first weeks of treatments and were reversible. Besides that, there were a few rashes of grade three, four, easily reversible, sorry. And uh, uh, we had one or a few infections also. And one patient presented with hematoma, but the number of grade one, two events were rather limited, while patients taking anticoagulant drugs were eligible for the study. So a safety profile that was very reassuring with no major safety event, essentially, again, hematological and reversible, and a very low proportion of uh, uh, bruising or bleeding observed in this patient. The follow-up of these uh, studies were uh, reported more recently, a follow-up of the patients treated with CLL that demonstrated a continuous treatment for uh, uh, many patients under observation. Some patients actually had uh, 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 responded to increase those of tirabrutinib uh, 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 when needed. And the long-term outcome of patients with mantle cell lymphoma was reported by uh, uh, Simon Rules in leukemia recently. And again, the PFS curves, which looks really interesting to the field. In both follow-up reports, there were very few discontinuations that were related to AEs, confirming the safety profile of this drug. And I should mention that while we were involved in the phase one study, when I left Lyon a couple of months ago, uh, I had still several patients that had been on drug for four or five years. And interestingly, I also a few patients that had uh, 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 been off drug because of the end of studies who had maintained response to uh, this agent taken for several years. The development was a, a, a proposal to combine uh, the tirabrutinib with either PI3 kinase delta inhibitor in case idelalizib or SIC inhibitor antospletinib. And the results were just reported recently by uh, Alex Davinov and Frank Marshall. But basically, this combination uh, did not demonstrate a, a, a higher efficacy of this combination as to what observed with tirabrutinib alone, while eventually additional toxicity were present, showing that these uh, uh, potential combinations were not of clinical benefit. At the same time, uh, the Gilead company, I think, withdrew from the development of this drug in hemato-oncology. I think this is unfortunate, and the uh, initial company continued to develop the drug in Japan, and actually invested uh, development in uh, uh, unmet needs for patients with B-cell meningitis, including patients with primary CNS lymphoma. It's a very high response rate of patients treated with this compound with primary CNS lymphoma. 
the median duration of response or PFS may be short, but this is usually what we observe with that. And you may think that you may want to add something or complete that. But basically, based on this high response rate, the drug was approved for the treatment of this entity in Japan. And the survival of this patient looks actually interesting for this population in need of therapy. Similarly, the company continued the development of tirabritinib in patients with Waldenstrom microglobulinemia. The results that were observed in two cohorts of patients were either uh, naive from previous therapy or previously treated. And you can see the very good response in terms of diminution of IgM levels, of diminution of tumor levels, and recovery of hemoglobin levels. And based on this result, it was also approved in Japan. So we have here a BTK inhibitor, which appears to be very effective, very safe. Unfortunately, the development has been uh, halted for the major hematological malignancies uh, in the US and Europe, but maybe we will continue to see this drug in the specific entities where further development is envisioned by the company. I thank you for your attention. Thank you for sharing that update with us. Some very interesting results there. Last, but by no means least, we have Paolo Ghia of the Universita Vita Saluti San Rafael in Milan, Italy, and he's going to talk us through the latest ibrutinib combination therapies. Paolo, please tell us more. Thank you very much for the invitation, and I will be talking about uh, the novel BTK inhibitors. I will be talking indeed about ibrutinib, which is the first BTK inhibitor, and in particular the combinations involving ibrutinib. And uh, we know that ibrutinib really uh, revolutionized uh, the way how we treat patients. Uh, first of all, because it, it showed us that with the continuous therapy, we can obtain uh, um, long benefit uh, with durable responses. This uh, happens for uh, all type of patient, as uh, we learned from the Resonate 2 study, where uh, patients in first line were uh, treated with either ibrutinib or chlorambucil. But this is also true for high risk patients like those carrying P53 aberration, where again, we have long and durable responses, the uh, follow-up six years. For the Resonate 2, we have the five-year follow-up, and we will be presenting the six years of follow-up at the, NAS, uh, the next uh, ASCO EHA meetings. What we also learned that the continuous treatment with ibrutinib is uh, inducing a partial response in most patients, though we can uh, increase the number of complete responses uh, the, the longer the patient stay on therapy. And we see that uh, almost one third of the patient can achieve complete response after five years of treatment. But of course, if we want to get to a cure, and in particular, if we just want to stop the treatment at a certain point, uh, we need to achieve much deeper responses. And therefore, the, the best way to go uh, has been thought to be the combination of ibrutinib, the BTK inhibitor, with the, the BCA2 inhibitor, venetoclax. And that has been uh, um, explored and published also by Bill Virda and his team at MD Anderson, where they treated patients in first line with uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia with ibrutinib plus venetoclax for two years, 24 months. And they were able to achieve uh, two thirds of the patient uh, were able to have an undetectable MRD at the level of the bone marrow and the peripheral blood. And overall, at any time during the treatment, uh, three out of four patients were able to experience undetectable MRD. And the interesting point is that uh, they show also that uh, 24 months are probably um, a fair amount of a month of treatment because those who did not achieve 
undetectable MRD after one year of treatment, they could achieve uh, undetectable MRD in 50% of the cases with an additional year of treatment. Of course, one wants to add up the combination is not only of two drugs, but can be of three drugs. I will focus only on ibrutinib, ibrutinib plus venetoclax plus obinutuzumab. And we do see undetectable MRD more or less the same number of uh, percentage of uh, uh, patients. So maybe there is still doubt and we will need longer follow-up and much larger uh, um, cohort of patients here. It was only 25 patients. Uh, to see if the addition of the anti-C20 antibody is really beneficial. But the whole issue now is that maybe we can achieve uh, uh, very deep responses, but uh, so far all these treatments were fixed duration treatments. So it was predetermined the length of the treatment, while instead what we are aiming at in the near future is to, to use combination, but to, to uh, stop the treatment only in those patients who achieve uh, um, uh, deep responses and therefore without a predefined uh, time uh, limit for, uh, for the patient. So this is something that we explored in the phase two captive study where patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia first line have been treated for one year with ibrutinib plus venetoclax and at the end of the first year of treatment they were randomized based on the level of undetectable MRD. So those who achieved undetectable MRD, they were randomized to placebo, so nothing, or ibrutinib. Or on the other side, those who did not achieve undetectable MRD, they were randomized to ibrutinib, or again, consolidation with extra ibrutinib plus venetoclax. And the results are interesting in terms of uh, uh, um, uh, responses, in terms of undetectable MRD, uh, three out of four, so as probably uh, we saw also in the uh, MD Anderson uh, work, three out of four of the patients were able to achieve undetectable MRD in the peripheral blood and similar level in the bone marrow. After one year, uh, the evaluation of disease-free survival showed us that uh, among those who achieved undetectable MRD, there is no statistical significant difference, difference between those treated with ibrutinib continuous or those who stopped the treatment. So suggesting that undetectable MRD may be a good endpoint to stop the therapy. In general, the 30-month progression-free survival for all arms, so regardless of the treatment, it was above 95%. So suggesting and indicating that uh, if we really modulate the, the length of the treatment and the quantity of treatment uh, based on the MRD, it could be very valuable for each single patient. This is something that we also explored in a, a study in the relapsed refractory setting, the improved study, a phase two study, where uh, patients with uh, relapsed refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia, they were uh, treated with venetoclax for one year, and then those who reached undetectable MRD might stop the treatment. Those who did not were uh, then uh, continued venetoclax plus uh, ibrutin, so the combination of the two treatments. And those who did not achieve undetectable MRD even after two years, they continued ibrutin alone. And these are the results. So in the relaxed refractory setting, uh, venetoclax was able to induce undetectable MRD in 45% of the patient after one year. Uh, those who continued venetoclax plus ibrutinib, again, a similar number was able to achieve undetectable MRD with the combination after a second year, and only a very small portion uh, did not achieve undetectable MRD, and they continued monotherapy, ibrutinib monotherapy. So really, again, indicating that undetectable MRD can be a very nice endpoint to really uh, modulate the quantity and the timing of the treatment for patients so that we can really understand those who 
uh, will uh, benefit from the combination, but those who will not also benefit from the combination, and therefore they need to continue hybridly. With this, I want to conclude. I thank you all for uh, your attention. I just want to remind you that the future will be really a personalized treatment, very likely based on undetectable MRV. Thank you again. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast on BTK inhibitors for the treatment of NHL. A big thank you to the speakers for sharing their time and research with us, and thanks to you for joining us. If you have any thoughts on today's discussion, be sure to share them with us on Twitter by following VJ Hemonk. You can also visit our website, vjhemonk.com, to hear the key updates from the experts themselves, as well as groundbreaking coverage in the field of NHL. Finally, make sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean.